Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians. It's uh, found in the 8th chapter, and I'll be reading from the 7th through the 15th verses, where Paul is encouraging uh, the Corinthians to be generous. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command. I am testing your generousness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter, I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now, finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be a balance that is fair. As it is written, the one who has much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. This is the word of God for the people of God. How much is enough? Scarcity and abundance, when to give and when not to give. Paul's giving a pretty extensive list here of how to live into a generous spirit, but think for a moment of how you react when you are asked for money. A lot of times it depends on who does the asking. I'm very quick to offer a dollar or two to my kids when they want to start the lemonade stand in the front, but I find myself honestly clutching a little tighter to what I have when I'm confronted with a stranger. I wonder if you go into the same convulsion of panic and guilt and self-justifying logic that I do when I walk the streets of downtown Atlanta. So I want today to think about how we can move from paralysis to joy, from secrecy to transparency, from private embarrassment to shared pleasure of giving. And we find it here in the New Testament reading where we hear how Paul is asking Christians in Corinth to support the poor in Jerusalem. What's not clear is whether the poor in Jerusalem means the struggling mother church in Jerusalem or the poor who are in the church in Jerusalem, or even the poor in the community in Jerusalem the church is trying to serve. But let's for a moment assume that it's all of those. 
which allows us to look at giving as a way that we are always assisting the poor. We are always building up the church, but most importantly, we are always deepening our own discipleship. Now, here's where Paul gets really creative and persuasive with the Corinthians. He starts by appealing to their sense of pride, and he tries to get them into a competition to give more than the church in Macedonia. If you were paying attention to Amy's report, you'll see that we haven't fallen too far from this when we try to get districts to compete about who gives more apportionments. There's this sense of prudent financial management, a complete commitment to honor their pledge that they initiated a year earlier and to give a realistic sum. But then Paul holds up a mirror to their faith and to their holiness. He says Jesus was rich, but Jesus became poor to make us rich. And almost goading the Corinthians, Paul says, why wouldn't you want to be like Christ? And finally, Paul subtly nudges their self-interest. Bring your present abundance to their need, he says, and they might be around to bring their future abundance to your need should you find yourselves hard up one day. Think about it. Pride, faith, and self-interest. It's a very ambiguous list of reasons for giving money, but Paul knows the human condition very well. Sam Wells, who is the rector of St. Martin's in the field in England, left college at the age of 22 because he sensed a call to be ordained, and he wanted to live with the poor and set about finding, if it was possible, to do both at the same time. He moved to the poorest part of England, but deep down he knew he wasn't in it for noble reasons. He knew whatever love and faithfulness he had was mixed up with anger and pride. He had all sorts of heart searchings, as he called them, about what he was doing and why he was doing it. He returned to T.S. Eliot's line that the worst treason was to do the right thing for the wrong reason. After a few months, he spoke with a monk who gave him this advice. Everything we do, we do for a dozen or more reasons. And if you waited for every one of those reasons to be good, you would never do anything. If one of those reasons is good, God can work with that. Don't worry about the other feelings. It remains some of the best and most liberating advice he'd ever been given. Paul wasn't worried about mixed motives. He wasn't worried about picking apart every little detail of the generous spirit of people. And I don't think that we should be worried about nitpicking every little thing a lot more than Paul was worried. Because we live in a world where there are tax incentives for charitable giving, and there are naming opportunities for institutional donors. It's a fantasy that we'll ever get to a place where the left hand is completely unaware of what the right hand is doing, to borrow another biblical image. Our conscience may never be completely clear, and our intentions may never be entirely noble, but we can still be faithful with what we give when we give with our lives. But we have to work out what and where and how to give. Paul is definitely making an appeal, not just to their wallets, 
but he's appealing to their common baptism. He's saying that you share something with the Christians in Jerusalem that's bigger than borders. You share something with the people who call themselves Christians that's bigger than a birth certificate. You, sell some, so you share something with the Christians in Jerusalem that means more than your nationality. And he's saying it's time to show what being one body in Christ means. He's not appealing to citizenship, to political affiliation. He's not even asking what country they came from or how long they've been in this city of Corinth, this melting pot of the first century. But he's asking for a relationship based upon all that these people have and all that they do not. Our fundamental need for relationship, Paul says, is more profound than our need for financial gain. In the face of another's distress, we're best not leading with the checkbook and saying, this is what I'd like to do for you, but asking the gentle and subtle question, how do you need me to be with you in your moment of need? So what do you do when you give with your head, when you give with your hand, and when you give with your heart? When you give with your head, you're thinking through the things that mean something to you that might not mean something to other people. And you're thinking through which relationships take priority and take precedence in your life. And you're asking that question, how do you need me to be with you? But when you give with your hand, Paul says, finish doing what you began. He's meaning there comes a time where our action meets our checks. Giving with your hand means recognizing there will always be something unclean, awkward about giving. But giving with your hands always means that you are combining your finances with your action. After all, you can't subcontract kindness in this world. At some stage, you need to have a face-to-face -face encounter with someone, a touch, an interaction. That's one of the biggest reasons that we're involved in so many mission opportunities here at Sandy Springs, and we're looking forward to serve Sandy Springs here on August 19th as we go out into this community. It's our chance to say to people, we know that you're facing hardships that we may not see. We want to be helpful. Even though we're used to avoiding your gaze and just sending money, this is the week that we want to see and touch and embrace humanity in another person. Giving with your hand means seeing for yourself what money can do and what money can't do. It means coming home from the mission trip or the night spent here with family promise with a deeper understanding of what it feels like to be the recipient of charity, but also to know what it means when you're meeting people's deepest needs. We give with our heads when we think through how to give. We give with our hands when we put actions with our minds, and then we give with our heart. Paul says, if I give away all my possessions, if I hand over my entire body, but I have not love, I gain nothing. You can't subcontract kindness. You can't subcontract generosity. You can't subcontract the emotional side of giving. And so we're called to give with our heads, with our hearts, 
with our hands. Because the church in Jerusalem that Paul is reminding us of calls us back to our baptisms wherever we go. Paul knows that churches aren't oceans of peace and tranquility. They're places of sustained argument. You know this for a fact. But the good news is that the arguments that we have in churches, the best arguments that we have is when we get to decide what to give money to. Because that's the only kind of argument that matters. And that's where we work out the gospel of giving with head and heart and hands. And that's why we need each other, because we can't do all three at the same time. And that's why Paul says, You know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. In other words, the way Jesus makes room for us in this life is by emptying himself of everything else and bringing us to this table. You might do it over a common meal this week, over a holiday. It reflects the way that we gather at this table. One of my favorite traditions was my family's traditional July 4th gathering at Lake Martin in Alabama on the Alabama My grandmother had one of those old houses that had no central heating and no central air, just two rooms and a bathroom. But we would gather. I would meet cousins that I didn't know I had because everybody would bring something to the picnic. We'd watch the fireworks. Strangers would come up in their boats and hang out. And it became a time of fun and celebration as we shared generously what we had. Those who were able to cook, cook. Those who were able to tell stories, told stories. Those of us who just like to run around and get in trouble, we got in trouble. But there was a twinge of sadness for me because I did not like fireworks. All the other kids liked fireworks, but the noise, the excitement, the boom scared me. So I often found, found myself towards the end of the night inside, alone, with my grandfather, who's also named George Thomas Martin. He was junior. He was a bomber in World War II and served time in prisoner of war camp in the African Peninsula. And I found myself sitting with him there, the fireworks booming outside, and he gave me cowboy, always called me cowboy, even though I was the only grandson. I don't know if he wanted to call me by my name, but cowboy, what brings you inside? What are you so afraid of? Well, Pop, sometimes the bombs, they can be too loud. The fireworks are too loud for me, and I just want to be inside. And he said, I understand. Sometimes the booms are too loud for me as well. I didn't realize his life until he was gone and what it meant to serve this country and serve time in a prisoner of working. But I'm grateful for the generosity that he shared. He wasn't able to do much, but he could share his stories and share his presence. He gave with his hands, he gave with his head, and he gave with his heart. And he created a place for me as a child when I was scared of the rooms. As the church, as we come to this table, because Christ gave all, we give with our hands, we give with our hearts, and we give with our heads.
Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.